Yo, 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 yo! Welcome to episode 93 of the Basketball Card Podcast. I am back after a month. Uh, this episode is sponsored by PWCC. Guys, it has been five whole weeks since I've uh, been here with you, and I regret that. I'm rusty. I hope this is going to be good. Um, but I'm excited for today. I've got, I think, a really good episode planned. So I spent 10 days in Washington, D.C., um, between earlier this month and over Thanksgiving, getting ready for that took time. Um, obviously, being there, I didn't have the ability to record, and it was crazy busy. And then when I got back, it was crazy busy. And you guys know I've got four kids and family stuff. Everything's busy. Holidays are busy. So I missed you guys, uh, missed recording. Um, I find it pretty therapeutic to plan for an episode and then record it, put it out there. So I don't know if you guys miss me, but I miss you guys, and I miss doing the podcast. Um, so with that said, thank you to those of you who reached out. Yes, the podcast will continue weekly, uh, but I wanted to make sure I waited a long enough time so that I could, um, you know, so that I could be really back at it once I got back, um, and was busy enough that it would have been hard to do. I might maybe could have pulled it off last week, but also I couldn't really think of what I wanted to do an episode on. Um, but today. I had um, a couple of messages this morning that got me sort of thinking about something that I was already kind of considering, and I thought I'd put all of the thoughts together and do this episode. So this episode is just going to be called Conflicts of Interest, and um, I think you guys are going to really like this. So uh, a conflict of interest, this is from Google, occurs when an individual's personal interests, family, friendships, financial or social factors could compromise his or her judgment, decisions, or actions in the workplace. Conflicts of interest arise all the time professionally, guys. Um, And I think they also abound in the hobby. Um, We see them all over the place. Let's highlight a few. Um, A graded, uh, a grader, excuse me, owns a PSA 10 of a certain card. And that card then comes across his or her desk and he has a deci- and the card is perfect and he has a decision whether to grade the card a PSA 10 or grade it lower. That is a conflict of interest because an increase in pop count could decrease the value of a card that he has, but he has a responsibility as a grader. And as we know, many graders are also collectors. Um, I'm, I'm going to go through a ton of these. So I think I've got like seven or eight of them just listed. So... Um, next one, PSA grades a 10, um, of a Michael Jordan rookie card versus a nine. The upcharge on that is thousands of dollars, maybe, maybe even like $10,000 plus at this point, just to grade the card. And, um, I've always felt that that conflict of interest from the grader is a massive issue. PSA is the only one that has that significant of a number. Beckett um, historically didn't do any of that sort of stuff. Maybe they've started. I'm not even sure with what's go, where Beckett at, where Beckett is at this point. Um, it's been a while since I've used them, and I don't know about the other graders. But every time a grader gets more money by grading something higher, it's a massive conflict of interest. They've sort of sold it as this idea that it's an insurance, and I understand how insurance works, but an increase in cash for just doing their job based on grading it higher, certainly can make their balance sheet look significantly better at the end 
And frankly, I don't even know how they determine which portion of that's revenue. I would just need to look at their financials. Um, for those of you who haven't list, listened before, I am a CPA, very qualified to look at financials and understand what is happening. But my guess is that every time they take that cash, that there's a period of time over which that then they can recognize that revenue. Um, and and so that's sort of smooth over years based on you know when it comes in and... Um, and it's an interesting thing to think about. Um, entities in our in our hobby that that combine grading with marketplace also have a massive conflict of interest to grade big customers' items better than outsiders. What that would do, if if there's a perception that that could be true, it could in, it could ensure that the um, that the marketplace is getting those big cards and that. Um, people continue to submit to that grader because of that marketplace. Um, that creates a conflict of interest for the graders and for the company to grade those cards better, and um, because then they'll be able to sell them. And and you know, there's there's a lot of money in grading. There's really a lot of money in selling a card um, if you're getting a big chunk of the value out of it. And so that's another conflict conflict of interest that exists. Panini and the supply chain. Would so I'm this is I'm just going through one at a time. Panini and the supply chain would love to see big hits not come out of the products early. Sometimes, sometimes it, if they if they want um, a product to have um, a certain level of sort of like like oh you can get this this thing out and there's a whole bunch of that big thing out there, then sometimes seeing one early is a good thing. But if there's like one giant giant card like a specific superfractor or a specific um, you know, logo man auto or something like that of an RPA, it doesn't do them well to have it come out at the beginning because then it can harm the value of the other boxes that are still out there. So the, the card manufacturers have various types of incentives with that. Um, grading companies, uh, back to them may not want to admit a cart was trimmed or altered in some other way, um, because then they may, ha may have to be responsible for the damages. In this case, they have an incentive sometimes to say what they don't actually think is true based on what they've previously said. So their their incentive is no longer just to authenticate, it is to um, sort of protect their interests. Because in some cases, cards can be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars more based on how they graded it. And so that keeps their, um, you know, their what their what their goals are a little bit murky sometimes. Panini may want to see all the big hits go to the most public breakers. This is one that we've heard talked about many times. Um, we'll see a, a, a big breaker get two or three big hits over the course of a month, and then people will start to question whether Panini is sending loaded boxes, if there's different sort of quali qualities of boxes. And of course, Panini wants the public seeing these boxes opened. They want collectors to see that there's amazing stuff that can that can go can that you can pull and because they want people to go buy these boxes and so of course there's an incentive there um it, these these things are all over the place in the world of sports cards and it's so important to understand them because you need to know where things could go awry um the thing that i think is really important and one of the big lessons of this um, of this podcast is that just because a conflict of interest exists does not mean that the person who's sitting in that place or the entity that's sitting in that place is doing bad things. 
should they implement as many controls and rules in place to prevent those conflicts of interest from causing real damage or influencing people's decisions, as it says from the, from the definition? Yes, they should. But as we know, sometimes um, people, individuals, especially small uh, entities, and individuals are by definition one person, um, those, those types of situations sometimes lead us to impossible to deal with conflicts of interest. And in those cases, again, it's just really good to know that they exist. And as a person who's watching or who's influenced by those, um, by those people, it's good to stand back and go, okay, what is actually happening here? And to um, see everything in a way where your eyes are open. Um, I don't think it's good to think about people or entities just as good or bad. I think it's good to look at them and say, okay, what is your intent and what are you incented by? Okay, a um, few more. And these aren't card specific, but other real world things that we see all, time, all the time and that I think will um, speak to some of you. So the NBA has a constant, um, a constant conflict of interest in terms of who wins. Was there a conflict of interest that the Lakers do well in the first uh, in-season tournament? For sure, because every time the Lakers win or the Knicks win, it is unquestionably good for the bottom line of the league. The bigger markets that have the opportunity to make more money drive so much of this. But the NBA knows, just like any other big entity, that the, that the consumer can't be, believe and can't largely believe that the, um, that the league is influenced by that conflict of interest. So again, they set up things that should prevent that. And then you have moments like you have with Tim, Tim Donaghy. And you have other officials where it's like, what did something happen here? And of course, those of us who, who sort of like look from the outside and say, maybe with tinfoil hats, maybe not. Um, hey, I think this is what happened. Sometimes those people are right. And it's really important that we have those people who are watching those watchdogs. We hear, we've heard that phrase a lot. It's important that we have those people to be watching because if you don't, then people are more likely to take for granted that they can put one over on the people who they're able to take advantage of. And so um, the watchdogs are important. Um, anyway, so, okay, I just went on a bit of a tangent there. Sorry. Okay, so the Lakers and Knicks example. They could win the championship every year and it would be great for the NBA. It's interesting that those larger franchises have won more often, but you could also point to some of the natural advantages that those, that those teams have. Is it because the, the teams have been catered to by officials or by the league? Maybe. I don't really know. And I don't know if any of us really know. Okay, the news, the news that you listen to is not incented to just tell you the truth. They're incented to talk about things that sell, not necessarily things that matter. Some of the most important stories and some of the most important things that you could be learning or spending your time with, you never hear about. And it's because those, um, those various um, types of uh, broadcast or, uh, or news, those generally are, are there to, um, to cater to their body of readers or listeners. And they want you to, to read. They want you to pay for things. They want you to see ads because that's how they get paid. The news largely is about getting paid. Wish it wasn't the case but it is. And lastly, uh, this is from my personal sort of life uh, and, and career. If a PE firm 
needs to needs to have a valuation on a um, on an investment at your end. It would be nice if they weren't incented by anything, but they are. They're incented to put to have a higher valuation on their assets, not because um, just having a higher amount on their balance sheet or a higher you know amount of revenue on their income statement. Um, that that's not the only thing that benefits them. What the reason that it benefits them is that um, investors look at those numbers to determine whether they want to re-up. And so, if there's a if there's a, um, a fundraise going on at that at that firm, it is it is definitely a conflict of interest for the the people who are placing the valuations on the the financials because you're taught as an accountant to be conservative, but these these investments don't have clear um, clear amount or clear values like public securities do. And so as a, I, I was sort of sitting in this situation once where like, and not just once, but many times where you're looking at investment and you're like, Hey, what's the right thing to do here? And, and you've got this pending sort of fundraise out there. How do you deal with that? It's a, it's certainly a conflict of interest, but like I said before, the presence of having a conflict of interest does not make the person who is in that situation bad or evil. It just means that they have one. Conflicts of interest are all over the place. All right, let's go to a break. You've probably heard about Alt, but have you registered for their auction yet? Twice a month, Alt features its liquid auctions event, which caters to collectors of all kinds. The platform is super easy to use, connects to your bank in minutes, and provides a super fun bidding experience. What are you waiting for? Register on AltXYZ today. Awesome. All right. Let's talk now about incentives, what drives you, and what drives other people. Um, I want to start out by talking about those things and sort of get into some conversation about that and, and why those things are so important to look out for, uh, to be aware of, and then to to evaluate on your own. And this is something that maybe some, pe some people haven't really thought about before. I think this is like really an important thing in life to, to focus on. This is not just talking about cards right now. This is talking about your outlook on the world, how you deal with other people, and all of your relationships. Okay, so um, I want to start by saying that it's really important to understand internally what motivates you, what your incentives are. My experience tells me that some people are way more way more motivated by money than other people are. Um, and if you think about people in your life right now, this may um, this may resonate with you. Um, you may think about just any random person in your life and ask yourself, like, is that somebody who's really motivated by money? Is is money like at the crux of what they're doing? And th I'm talking about money right now mostly because this is how how I think the hobby has been most influenced and how that's like the, that's like the main topic of what we're talking about today um, with, with respect to these conflicts of interest. Um, we've already identified a lot of these conflicts of interest that exist. The question is then, okay, how motivated is this person by money? How motivated are you by money, motivated by money? What, what are you motivated by? Um, I personally really don't like the feeling that I get when I'm, when I'm with someone I'm talking to them about anything, and I can tell, I can tell that they're really motivated by money. I've had this with people I go to church with. I've had this with people who I, I work with. I've had this with family members. I've had it with so many people where I can feel like so much of what they think about is about financially, like what what motivates them. 
maybe that's because maybe and I, and I know I'm sounding like super like like look at me here but like maybe that's because I'm not as motivated by money as the average person is um I um for those of you who've listened to this podcast for a long time um you know a little bit about my about my background you know that I come from the world of investments I worked in the world of private equity um you, some of you know that I left a great deal of unaccrued carried interest um, so that I could take my job in collectibles with PWCC and leave that world. Um, obviously, from a financial perspective, that was a significant decision. Um, I'm not going to say how much, but I will tell you that I left several years of compensation um, on the table by taking the job. And um, again, this is something that I've talked about before. I don't know if, you know, leaving the world of private equity as a controller for a major firm, um, a real dream job for the world of accountants and for, you know, a real dream job for a guy who lives in Salt Lake. There's like four or five of these jobs in the state, guys. And I left it. And I don't know if there's anything that I can tell you about me um, or anything that anybody else could tell you about themselves that, like, would convince you that should convince you more that money is not my primary primary motivator. I don't know what to tell you if if that doesn't do anything for you. Maybe you just don't care, maybe you're unsympathetic, maybe you maybe you think that there's some other ulterior thing. I'm not sure, but I will never make anything close to what I left behind. And I did it because I love the hobby. And by the way, I have zero regrets. I have no regrets at all. Um, I've had people message me and say, well, you don't work full-time at PWCC anymore. Like, you sure it was a good idea? Guys, it was the best decision I ever made. And I made that very clear through many, many podcasts because I now get to do what I like and focus on what I want, and that's that's the hobby, right? I worked at a card shop, guys, for the better part of a decade, right? I did it through college. Um, I didn't ever stop collecting when I would basically every other person did, Right? Um, I worked at, you know, I worked at that card shop basically to fund, you know, the ability for me to go on a mission. Um, and then I came back from my mission and I went right back to it. I started the very first basketball card podcast and I currently run the only basketball print magazine in the hobby outside of Beckett, which doesn't really print stories anymore. And the stories are not the sort of stories that actually get people to like, like get crazy about like, Oh, I need to go, I need to go buy this. It's more about, educating and providing real collectors something that they can look forward to on a month-to-month basis. Ugh. I started the first sports card podcast before anyone else was doing it because I wanted to have a place where I could talk about cards and where you could listen and have like a Bill Simmons type like awesome experience with sports cards. I could have um, cashed out of my collection and retired in 2020 or in 2021 and I didn't. Guys, I love the hobby. I don't know what else to tell you. I love cards. I have loved them forever. I have spent more time with them than just about anybody in the world. And I am not motivated by money nearly as much as many other people are. Now, am I motivated by money? Of course I am. I've got four kids. I have, you know, all the things that I need to take care of. I'm not telling you that I'm not. And by the way, I'm also not telling you to listen to everything I say because I'm sure I say really dumb stuff a lot of the time, okay? But I 
am motivated, and this is the part that I'm really trying to like emphasize right here. I am motivated to see the hobby become the best place it can. Sorry, I got cut off for just a second there. Just to finish that thought, I am motivated to see the hobby become the best place that it can be. And again, everything that I do in the hobby is is about that. Now, I would also say, and I think I started to go down this path before I got cut off. Um, I think all of us are motivated by money to a certain extent, right? You you look at like the, I forget what it's called, but like the the sort of order of operations financial financials in your life and i i kind of sit i'll tell you the my philosophy so i believe super geeky and deep but just take it for what it's worth i believe that there's a certain amount of money that you need to make so that you can like so that you can have your basic needs fulfilled and then achieve a certain level of comfort uh that that everything past that point doesn't actually make you happier so um I, I reached that point, guys, like, I didn't have a lot growing up. Um, I reached that point, like, when I got out of school. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm, like, the easiest to please person in the world. I, I don't have a new car. I don't buy new things. I don't. Like, I just, I like, I'm a really simple guy when it comes to money things. Um, I do like nice cards, and so that is, you know, that, I guess, is, is a factor. But um, I think I've told you guys this before. I do not ever go outside of like my um my collection for 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 money anymore so if i buy a card even if it's like a hundred dollar card i will go have to sell something to get that hundred dollars or have a hundred dollars previously for something that i've sold i just like i i like cards but i'm not my my day-to-day doesn't influence my day-to-day job doesn't influence how many cards i'm going to be able to get doesn't I don't ever spend outside of that and my in our lives the way that my family we, and we have sort of structured our lives I'm just not motivated the same way that other people are for great grand things if I suddenly had 20 million dollars in my bank account tomorrow I don't think I'd go buy a new car I know that sounds crazy at some point I probably would I'd probably get my mom a new car um, um and my wife probably needs a, a, a changing on the minivan right i wouldn't buy a new house i don't think i'd go anywhere i look i love my neighborhood um i just like i I wouldn't be motivated by that same sort of big payday that a lot of other people are and that's probably why i never cashed out on my on my collection and you know some you can you can judge that however you want to some people probably think i'm insane for not cashing out in fact i know some people do but I just am not motivated the same way. So anyway, there are other people, though, who are who are really motivated by by these things. And like I said earlier, um, sorry to be long-winded. Um, I think that when you watch people and you interact with them and you get to know them, unless they're just a really good con artist, and th- those do exist, you can generally tell what motivates people. And so I would suggest you look at every piece of content, uh, content and um, and this this goes for me and this goes for everybody else. No one is above reproach here, guys. Really wealthy people, not above, not above repro- reproach. Some of the greediest people I've ever known in my life are the people who have the most money. I've seen it actually 
many times. Not all the time. They're also some of the most, I've also known some of the kindest people who are super wealthy, but I hear this line of thinking sometimes where people say, oh, that guy's got so much money, you know, he would, you know, he, he's not going to go crazy for a hundred bucks. That's not true. That is totally not true. I've seen it over and over and over again, guys. So, um, you know, watch people understand where their motivation comes from. And um, let's go to a final break and then come back and talk about talk about three interesting moments of, of um, a conflict of interest I have had over the course of the last couple of weeks. Do you grade your cards? Grading can preserve, protect, and beautify your cards. Well, maybe not all grading companies beautify the cards they grade, but CGC sure does. CGC slabs are so much nicer than the other big three that I send all of my PC cards to them for slabbing. Not only do they make the cards look amazing, but they are ultra durable. I used to think that a slab could only be super clear or super strong, but then CGC showed up. Check them out at cgccards.com today. All right, let's do this. So in the last, I think it's been two weeks, I've had three really unique moments on my social media. You guys know I'm doing, I'm doing like several different things right now in the hobby, right? I have, we have Basketball Card Fanatic Magazine that I am the founder of um, and the largest of the largest of three partners, um, largest uh, ownership share of three partners. And then we have this podcast. And then the thing that I spend easily the most amount of time on is everything that we that work that I work on on social. And that includes reels and top 10 posts and stories and all sorts of different things. And the reels are easily the thing that I spend the most time on and they're easily the thing that have gotten the most views and the most publicity and, and have helped me to work with the most you know, number of um, hobby entities. I think at last count, I was working with seven different hobby entities on different reels um, for things that they're, that they're working on. And I love it, guys. Going back to last section, like I love doing these things. Yesterday, I got to do one um, on the T206 card of Eddie Plank. That was really cool. It's cool to learn more about that and to be able to sort of share that with the community. Um, the day before that, I did one on a Kobe Bryant card that I'm going to talk about here in a second. And the day before that, I did one on a LeBron James card um, that I'm going to talk about in a second. But I'm going to start with the the first of these three moments, which was about two weeks ago. It was a Kyrie Irving card, the 2012 Immaculate Acetate, number two of two. Um, I saw this in the auction, and when I saw it, as I was just, I always go through every auction, right? So I can talk about the things that I think are the most interesting stories. Um, let me let me back up just a second, actually, real quick, and then we're going to come back to the Irving. The purpose of these reels that I do is to use education and entertainment to engage the community. Um that's, that's the purpose. Uh, the purpose is to raise aware, awareness of the auction, the whole auction, okay? The purpose is not to increase the value on a given item like the Kyrie I was just talking about. The purpose is to actually engage uh, engage the community around the auction, let them know that it's there. And I talk about this when I, when I talk to, you know, when I talk to the different, um, my, my different clients at this point. Like the purpose is to let people know that the auction is happening. Um, Watch the reels, guys. The goal is not to get you to buy the card. It's to educate. You can feel it when somebody's really trying to get you to pay more for something. Um, I almost—I would say maybe 20% of reels, I, I bring up anything that's financially related. It's almost always about 
the card. And when I do add value stuff, I try to make it a very minor part of the of the reels because there's so much of that content out there. There's a lot of people talking about the financial elements of cards. That's not really what I want to do. I want to talk about the cards themselves. And so, um, again, go watch the reels. The goal is to, to not get you to buy the card. It's, it's to educate. Um, I've done 130 of those reels at this point. Um, now, are there people who have been more on the cards because they've seen the reels? I'm sure there are. I think the opposite's probably true, though. I do. I think there are probably people who have stayed away from items because they feel the hype on it um, after one of the reels comes out. And this isn't to say that the reels are being seen by everybody. They're not. I'm sure there are people who have blocked me who don't want to see the reels. I get that, too. Um, but again, I think it's really important since we've decentralized away from eBay that the marketing of an auction is done right. I think it's super important. And that's sort of a niche that I've been able to fill by creating these pieces of content and then and then hopefully driving people to auctions so that they can see what's up. Are there people who are gonna be really upset because they wanted something to stay hidden? Yes, that happens a lot. They don't want me to talk about things that are really cool because they don't want people to know that they exist. And I kind of disagree with that. I mean, I don't kind of disagree with that. I really disagree with that. I think the best marketplace is one where everybody knows what's going on and has a way of figuring those things out. And part of that is social media. It just is. It's a permanent part of it. It's where you know you you and where a lot of people probably spend their time in terms of the hobby. So okay, let's talk about this Kyrie Irving. Story number one. Two weeks ago, doing my planning for the week, going through the PWCC items. I see this card and immediately I say to myself, oh my goodness, I hope this card doesn't sell for too much money. I really want to buy it. And then I also realize at the same time that it's probably the best story in the whole auction. And at that moment, I had a decision to make. The decision was, do I, do I stay intellectually honest and create the content or do I not say anything about it and then go bid and try to win the thing. And if you follow me on social, if you saw the reel, you already know the answer. I went and I told the story, right? The story I thought was really good, especially because it's not like there's a ton of Kyrie Irving content out there. I'm stalling for just a second so I can go look at the stats on this. And of course my internet is down at exactly this moment. I think that video has, it's kind of crazy. I think that video has like 30,000 views. Um, which again, for a Kyrie Irving is just a nuts thing. It's 37,000 views, guys. Sorry, I just opened it up. And so, and the card sold for like 17 grand, right? Which I think was a bigger number than I think some people probably anticipated. It's probably a lower number than a lot of people anticipated, but it's one of the best Kyrie Irving cards in the world. And I needed to tell the story and I told it despite the fact that I wanted to win it but this conflict of interest happened where I, where I realized, okay, my role is to tell the story of the auction. It's to tell the stories that are most interesting, but I want to win the thing. Like, what do I do there? It's definitely like a, a devil on both shoulder thing. The devil, the good devil is like, Adam, you need to go tell the story because, because the community know, needs to know that the card is there. And the selling of this card is an important moment. And if you don't talk about it, there's a good chance that people aren't going to know. And there's a good chance that the person who wants to win it isn't going to know. You need to go talk about it. And so I did. The, the bad devil is like, 
Adam, you shouldn't talk about this with anybody because you should go win the card and then you'll have a card that's going to be worth a lot more money and you can profit from it. I have made the decision that when I have these two devils going at each other, I'm always, always, as much as I'm like, I have strength for, I'm going to go try to do the right thing. The intellectually honest thing. Okay, so that's what I did on, on the carrier. The next story is similar, but um, <laughs> more significant. And that's the LeBron James 1 of 25, 2002 uh, XRC, the gold that is currently at the PWCC Premier Auction. The story on this card is actually crazy because um, I first saw this card on a, on a blowout forum back in 20, late 2017 or early 2018. I couldn't find the first time that we, we DM'd, but I found some secondary ones and, and it was like from mid-2018. So this card I've had on my watch list for five years. I messaged this guy, and I don't know if he's a listener here, um, but he's somebody who I've interacted with on Blowout and on Instagram a million times. We interacted so many times. He knew how much I wanted the card. We never got down to like numbers. I probably should have just tried to make that happen, but we, we talked about different things that we could trade for and we just could never get it done. And then it showed up on Blowout. Um, or sorry, showed up on PWCC uh, earlier this or earlier this week. I noticed it, or late last week I noticed it. And when I saw it, I just like, I was like annoyed because I wish he would have reached out to me for a chance to buy the card. But at the same time, I never going to feel bad about somebody taking the open auction route because the open auction provides you with an opportunity to actually see what the market thinks. And so I messaged him right away and I was like, man, dang it. I wanted this card, but I'm happy for you. And I think it'll do really well. And his response was, was he's like, yeah, I'm sorry. I know you really wanted it. I just, I think that this is a card that everybody should get the chance to bid on. And, da, da, da. and I thought his, his answer was appropriate. And then he said, what do you think about doing one of your reels on the card? And I knew as soon as he asked it, I was like, I know I have to do that. But this is like, this is a really tough moment for me because I, I, I wanted the Kyrie. Kyrie is a really cool card that I thought I could get a good price on. The LeBron is a card I've really, really wanted for a long time. And I've really made a lot of attempts to try to get um, the story behind it is not only is it that, you know, XRC that comes before his rookie year, it's his first big, big card, and it's the first copy, one of 25, and he's got his finger in the air as the number one pick in that sweet oversized white suit. Um, the fact that he's got that number one in the air, that it's his first big card, that it's number one of 25, it's, just, it's to me, it's like the perfect LeBron card. I would personally, like this, this card does it for me way more than like an RPA out of 99, way more than uh, a lot of cards that are sort of more stock-like in that there are lots of different variations of it. So I sat back and I said, what do I do? I actually talked to my friend Jeremy Lee on this. Uh, he would, he would, I think, acknowledge this. I met, I called him and we were talking about different things and I was like, dude, look at this card. And he looked at it with me and he goes, I, I know you and I know why you like it as much as you do. And he said, you know, you don't have to do content on this. And that's when I explained to him this sort of idea of intellectual honesty. I feel, I feel a responsibility to the auction houses to tell the stories in the right way and to tell the right stories. I don't always get to choose, but sometimes I do. And if I do get to choose, then I'm going to take the one that's the best story that gives the auction house the best chance of being seen. And um, not, that they, not that they perfectly need me, right? I know they don't. I, I'm not going to like overstate that. I, any of these auction houses will 
survive far before I got there and they will they will continue on after. But but that's my role right now is to try to help guide people to the auction because of the stories. And so I sat and I thought about it with the LeBron and I told the story. And I'm mad that I had to tell the story because like I know there are people who have now seen the auction who might not have seen it before. Some some people who might not have gone to the premiere and there's a chance that the card may sell for more. And I realize again, that's not the purpose of why I do the videos, but I realize that sometimes that can happen. And so anyway, I, that that last part there made me feel like I'm like full of myself and I'm sorry about that. The, the goal of the videos is not to get the cards to sell for more. It is to get the people to know that the auction is happening and um, to drive them there. All right, let's talk about the third story. Third story is one that really drove this whole episode. It's the story of the Kobe Superfractor that is currently at Alt. It's from 2005, finest. It's the gold Superfractor, and it's numbered out of 25. So before this card was even up for auction, there were posts about it coming out. And I immediately started getting DMs. When I say I started getting DMs, I think sometimes people say that on a podcast. They don't really mean like they got a DM or whatever. I don't know how many I got, but it wasn't one or two. It was four or five or six where it was like, hey, Adam, is this your card? Are you selling it? Or did you know that this card was up? Or this this card's, you know, this card's like your card? But there were several that pe- people who thought that the card was my card. Why they think it was my card? Well, because 2005 Finest has several different um, superfractors. Now, some people act like that's a big secret. It's not a big secret, okay? <laughs> like, at the beginning of the superfractor era, Tops was still trying to figure out what they were doing. And so, in 2004, 2005, Finest had two superfractors. They had, um, they had X-Fractor one-of-ones, too. They had printing plates. They had all these different one-of-ones. And then that worked really well, and so they doubled down on it in 2005. And then they sort of like pulled it back when they realized that people should just uh, people just wanted to have like the one main superfractor. To where in 2008, I think there's two or three total superfractors. In 2009, there's only the one um, that was as Tops was about to lose their license. But 2005 Finest, I think, has five or six. Um, I did I did this real. Um, you know, there's 34 total Kobe superfractors over the, between 2004 and 2009, and 22 of them are parallel as a base set. And I am fortunate to own one of them. I probably own the worst one of those 22 because it's graded a PSA 6. <laughs> and it's the white superfractor um, from, from 2005. Sorry, I, th- I think sometimes I miss decades. I think earlier I might have even said 2015. Sorry about that. I promise you I know the difference. So, you know... When this card popped up and I started getting all these messages, my first thought was, I got to get out in front of this because probably going to do content on this, both because I want to and in this case, because Alt asked me to. So even though I'm like the most public guy in the world about my collection, (laughs) which I've listed literally every significant card that I own, I don't own anything that you don't know about, right? It's all out there for better or worse. And I know I take some heat for that too. You just, you're going to take heat for something at this point. So even though I posted everything at one time or another, when the auction came out, I posted on my story, hey, everybody, I've been getting asked questions about how, about this card and whether I'm selling it. No, I'm not selling it. This is mine. 
The other one that's on all is not mine. The one that's on all is the gold. It's a PSA 10. Mine is the white. It's a PSA 6. Yes, they're both one of ones. They even have, and part of the Super Fractor even looks the same, but it's clearly a different card. They are different cards. This one's mine. No, I'm not selling it, right? And then I, and then I just, I left it there and I had some messages and people were like, oh, this is cool. You know, it'll give you a good comp. Not really because that one's gold and it's a PSA 10, okay? They're not really comps. They're different. But I put it out there and then when I did the video, um, I told the best story that I could about the card. I think some people were a little bit surprised that I actually like led with this idea that there are 34 superfractors. But my purpose in doing this was to let people know, like, here's how really, here's how rare they are. For better or worse, there's 34. 20 of, 22 of them are parallels of the base set, which are generally preferred over inserts. The inserts are awesome too. I showed off some of those in the video. Um, and of the 22, nine of them have been graded by PSA and five of them are PSA 10s. Like that was the story. And as part of that, I also looked up what have they sold for in the past. Now here's where it gets really interesting. The only one that has ever sold <laughs> on a public auction, the only one of the 22 parallels is mine. It's the only one. Now I didn't buy it. It was um, at, at this point, somebody else bought it. And I think that somebody else who bought it sold it to somebody else who sold it to somebody else who sold it to me. And that's great because I'll probably keep it forever. And, uh, it'll it'll just be mine forever. Um, I'm really thrilled to be one of those 34 owners of one of those 34 cards. And it's a great card. And I don't care if it's the worst one. Like, I love the card. Anyway, so that was the only one that was out there. And then I had a decision to make. This The decision to make was, do I then just not talk about pricing history? Do I not highlight the fact that only one has ever sold? I kind of felt like I had to highlight that part. That's such an important part of the story. It's, it, it's instructive as to how rare superfractors actually are. So I felt like that had to be included in the reel. Um, but I didn't want to show off an image of it because I didn't want to be accused of pumping my own cards. But by not doing that, people are like, oh, you're trying to use this as a comp for yourself. I have described to other people, this is a danged if you do, danged if you don't situation. I don't know what the right answer is. Had I included the image of it, people would be like, oh, look, at it's Adam trying to use another opportunity to talk about his own cards. But by not doing it, I then got a couple of DMs. And these are the DMs that I got. This morning, I woke up to two uh, messages. One of them, uh, the first of, first of them was from, okay, my Instagram has to work or I cannot read the messages. Um, sorry, hold on one sec, guys. So, one message that I got today was from Cage Lawyer. And Cage Lawyer said, you didn't want to mention that there are two superfractors of the Kobe 2005 in your alt video and that you own the other one, question mark. Lots of great info in the video. Seems weird to leave that out. I love Cage. I consider Cage a friend. I think this is a weird question. What am I supposed to do in that situation? Hey, there's this one that's for sale, but just so you know, I have the other one and the other one's mine. And I pointed out to Cage right away, I said, there are actually, I think there are six, LOL. And then I said, 34 ever made, probably a bigger number than most re realized. Hope you're well. 
The fact that I talked about there are 34 made and broke down that there are 22 parallels, like that is the story. It is. I, it's hard to tell, to say every single thing you could possibly ever say about a card in you know, 45 seconds or 60 seconds. The fact that I've sort of disclosed that there's 34 of them, like I felt pretty good about that. And then his follow-up question was, nice story, $48,600, why leave that out? Is the LeBron out of or LeBron 700K a better comp? So I I included in the video the two the two um, LeBron cards that have sold at auction. And if you go go watch go watch the auction again, this is a situation where I'm like, do I just mention my PSA six of a white superfractor and use that as a comp against this gold of a PSA ten? I could have and talked about my own card in the process. And again, then I'm accused of talking about my own thing. There is no right answer there. Instead, what I did is I said, hey, there's only two LeBron supers that have ever sold publicly because LeBron's the closest that I can get to Kobe and they both sold for huge amounts. And here's what they sold for. That was me doing the very best that I could in that moment. Because again, you're danged if you do, you're danged if you don't. The job is to let people know how significant the card is how rare that type of auction is so that people will go and they will watch the auction and that they will go and see the other items that are there. That's my job. That's what I'm doing. And so by talking about my own things in the process, I think I lessen the, the, the effect of that. The moment that the video becomes about me, Cage, the moment that I've lost, my job is not to just make videos about me. My job is to make videos about things that are important that are happening in the hobby. And so that's what I did here. And so those were my answers to Cage. And again, I love Cage and I hope he's well. And um, again, I did my best there, but I, no matter what I would have done, I believe I would have been criticized for it. The other video, the other message that I got was from, um, his name is, sorry, his name on Instagram is A-I-H underscore sports. And he said, he asked a question, he point, he showed off the card that I have um, when it was being sold at Golden. And he said, is this the card that you own? And I said, hey, buddy, yep, I still own it. I think I posted about it like a week ago. So I posted about it, I posted about it several times. Everybody in the Kobe market who follows these sorts of things already knew that I own this card. And he said, gotcha, so I saw your video today on the Superfractor. It seems you didn't mention you owned it. Not saying it's a conflict of interest, but it can be interpreted as one. And that is, again, why we're doing this whole episode about conflicts of interest. And so um, to sort of uh, help uh, AIH feel good about the situation, um, I made another post, which, again, I, is at least my second, maybe my third, to describe that I have this card um, and to let people know that it's not the same as the other one. And, um, you know, my six, mine's the white one. And so he, he saw it and he said, sounds good. And then I explained to him everything about the situation that I've explained to you guys on this podcast. And he said, appreciate the explanation in the post. And then I said to him, I really do try to be uber transparent. I don't believe I own a single card that I haven't posted on my social, which I mentioned to you guys earlier. And then I said, my background, like yours, is financial. I'm a CPA and worked in public accounting. I understand conflicts of interest. And let me tell you, brother, the hobby is filled with them. I do my best to talk about these things and confront them head on. Uh, 
but none of us, including me, are above reproach. And this is this is really what I want to say to both AIH and Cage and anybody else who, who sort of you know, listens to this who also is like somebody who tries to make the hobby better. I'd say a couple things. One, we need you to do the job that you're doing. Because if we don't have checks and balances that are, that's, you know, that's what regulation is. That's what government provides in a lot of different ways. If we don't have people doing that, then people go unchecked and people generally don't do good things when they go unchecked. The other thing that I would say, and I said this earlier on the podcast ad nauseum, I promise you I'm not motivated by the valuation of my Kobe card. I promise. I'm not. You could go to a thousand dollars, you could go up to a hundred thousand dollars. It's not going to change what I do with it. Okay. Um, I want this message is, is that those messages were for them. Um, I want I want to then say something that sort of like is to everybody now, which is that I think that going back to what I talked about earlier, understanding what motivates people is really important. Really watch the content creators in our space and ask what is motivating them. Um, and when you do, you'll largely be able to tell. Um, just because somebody's getting paid does not make them a bad guy. But people are often motivated by things that I think are more devious than that. My favorite types of people are the people who talk about their cards and you know what they have. The really deceptive stuff is when people don't tell you what they have and then try to deliberately increase the value of it. And oftentimes you can tell that's happening. Just watch. Um, watch all the content creators and ask the question, what is motivating them? Um, why is this person saying what they're saying? And please do that to me too. Ask that question. Do what AIH and Cage did today and say, I just have a question about why you're doing this. Personally, it doesn't offend me because I understand the importance of those controls. I would also say to both of them and to all the content creators out there that I think you also have conflicts of interest. You also have opportunities to throw people under the bus who aren't doing anything wrong because it gets you clicks and it gets you know, it gets you people who sort of watch you and say, hey, that guy really knows what he's talking about and um, it gets you notoriety. And I have definitely been the recipient of that in ways where I felt, oh, this is, this is good. I like this. It's a straight up dopamine hit. Um, but you have... If you're going to take it on yourself to try to be a watchdog and try to help the community know what's going on, I do think it's important that you keep yourself in check and ask yourself, what motivates me? Am I motivated right now by that dopamine hit? Do I really care about cards? Do I really care about the hobby? Or do I just say that because I want people to sort of listen to me and watch me? And and um, so I would invite everybody to, to, to do that. And the reality is that the only person who's going to be a perfect judge of that is going to be you. Right, um, you you have to answer for those things to yourself, and so you know take that for what it's worth. Um, the other thing here I would say is I I would implore all of you to look at how long somebody has been around in the hobby, how they've conducted themselves historically, um, what their collection looks like, how long they've owned cards for. I get people all the time who I feel like are annoyed at me for one reason or another, and will say like, "Oh, you're just you're pumping your stuff or whatever." Like. Most of the cards in my collection, notwithstanding a few that I acquired this year, most of my cards in my collection I have owned for years. I actually transact less than probably anybody in the hobby. I maybe acquire 
three or four cards a year at this point. I don't do a lot, guys. Um, I don't open stuff. Um, I am much more concerned with card education as my part of my hobby than I am about like actually acquiring cards. Podcasting, writing in the magazine, um, you know, learning, making the reels. To me, those things are, are, are super interesting. And while I'm still acquiring cards and, and bettering my collection all the time, um, you know, I, don't, I don't sell a ton. I'm not in this to, people are like, you know, why do you hype this up? Why do you do this? Like, I'm in it to make the best collection. With that said, um, I would also sort of like ask you to consider why, you know, what motivates you? Um, what motivates you? What motivates the people who are around you? Like actually ask those questions internally. And that's part of, I think that's part of getting older is learning to do that. I look at, um, I look at um, somebody like my friend Jeremy Lee. He's been around the hobby for four decades. He loves it. Um, he's somebody who, when he talks, I listen to him. And if he's bought a card that he really likes and he talks about that, I listen to that not because it's going to make me buy the card, but because I love what I have the chance to learn um, in that case. You know, I've talked many times about the Harry Potter chase from early in 2022 for me. And I like thinking about that because that's something that, you know, follow me to the punchline here a little bit. I love that stuff so much and I could talk about it all day and I know that the majority of you just could not care any less about it. But if you want to ever like talk about it, just text me and we'll talk about it forever. Um, that doesn't mean that I'm trying to get you to buy the cart. Just like the majority of these reels that I do are nothing that I collect. It's me talking about the history of the card in a way that hopefully will make somebody who goes, oh, you know what? I remember that player or I love that set or I want to get into that. Hopefully it takes them and says, I need to learn more there. And then hopefully it takes them to the auction and then they can find other things that they're interested in. So with all that said, guys, um, I'm grateful for both AIH and Cage for leaving those messages today and, um, and grateful for the thought process about why we create content, what the aim is, what incentivizes us, and how we should think about um, how we should think about conflicts of interest in the hobby from a day-to-day -day, um, from a day-to-day -day perspective. And the last thing I'll say is, the conflicts of interest are out there. Watch for them, beware of them, and then ask yourself, okay, what's actually happening here, and try to understand what you can understand about that entity or about that person and whether you can feel comfortable with them. If you don't, stay away. If you do, still check in and make sure that it's exactly what you think. But be aware of them. Make sure that everything's good and safe as much as it possibly can be. And then just do your best, guys. But everybody has them. And... Um, those people who have a larger platform maybe have more of them. Those entities that have a larger platform maybe have more of them. But that doesn't mean they're bad. It just means that there's, that's something to watch for. All right, guys. Thank you for joining this week's episode of uh, Basketball Card Podcast. We'll be back next week. And until next time, happy collecting.
Thanks for listening to the Basketball Card Podcast. Reminder to subscribe to Basketball Card Fanatic Magazine at bcfmag.com. Remember to use discount code BASKETBALL10 for 10% off any item in the store. That's BCFMAG10.